0: You ready? I'm ready, Shaky.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another I had too much abanero sauce with my wrap last night, and I'm paying for it today, episode of Poddywood. I am one of your co-hosts, Steve Hester, and with me as
0: always is... I am Andrew Roger Carson. Mm. I am suffering with real bad dose of hay fever because people outside have been cutting grass. Hi. That's with each sure for you.
1: What have they been cutting the grass with?
0: That's what I want to know. Yes, they're either smoking it, or they're actually sniffing at something else. Yes.
1: Well, anyway, welcome to Podlywood. This is the show where we talk about movies with the people that make movies. Uh this week we unfortunately we don't have a guest because we've had to uh, we've had to arrange for our interview with Richard Mirisch to be
0: pushed back another week. So, uh, I'm afraid this week you just got us. What happened was I got the dates kind of mixed up. I thought Richard was on this week and it wasn't. He's yeah. actually booked for next week. And it's not unfortunate because We're still committed to bringing you a show. And today we're going to be doing something a little bit special. If anything, we have rescued the show this week. And speaking of rescues, Steve, let's talk about what's in the box. From last week.
1: Rescue Dawn, which is a two thousand six Werner Herzog movie starring Christian Bale, and it's a story a true story about a guy called Dieter Dangler, uh someone who sounds like he's got his name from Boogie Nights. That sounds like a Tex Avery <laughs> cartoon character, doesn't it really? <laughs> yeah. But it was a it was a two thousand six movie that was written and directed by Werner Herzog when he's he's not busy trying to kidnap baby Yoda. And it's based on a 1997 documentary that he did about this, obviously this real life story about a guy who crashes in the jungle of Laos while on a black ops mission for the US Navy. The the documentary was called Little Dieter Needs to Fly. Uh, And while some of it plays kind of fast and loose with the original guy's books detailing his experiences, particularly the characterization of some of the people that were in there. It's a really interesting film. It's It's got a very, very retro kind of documentary feel to it. It does not feel like it was made in 2006. It feels like it was made more in kind of Much like early. the early 80s. Yeah. There's something about the way that the camera work is. It's got a very, very documentary style feel to it. The performances themselves have got lots of improv. Uh, it feels very real. And the characters, they don't really stick to any kind of archetype. I mean, even the well, the protagonist, Dieter, who, like I said, is played by Christian Bale, comes off as a bit of a dick <laughs> a lot of the time. I don't know if that's the direction that was given or it was kind of Bale's interpretation of the real person or if it was just his interpretation of the character as it stands in the movie, but... But he comes across as rather unlikable at some times. But then again, so does everybody else. No one really conforms to, oh, he's the, the good guy, he's the bad guy, he's doing this, he's doing that. That's the comic relief. Everyone feels like an actual human being. And I really like that about it. The one thing that is worth noticing, and you will notice this very early on, is the fact that the cast are very emaciated. Because they're supposed to be playing prisoners of war. And we're talking about people that have been in a POW camp for... I think one of them says he's been in there for about two years at that point. So these people are skinny. And the actors themselves had to drastically lose weight. And there's two that are listed down on IMDb. The first, obviously, is Christian Bale, who's said to have lost about 55 pounds. And the other is Steve Zahn. And he lost forty pounds. Also, Jeremy Davis yes. uh, lost thirty-three pounds. Oh, was it thirty-three? Well, in that case, he's already skinny. To I mean, he kind of looks like um, what's his name, Charles Manson, throughout the whole thing, doesn't he?
0: <laughs> he does. And the, the way they kind of achieved this was uh, they actually shot in reverse. Mm-hmm. So they'd, start, they'd lost all their weight for the roles, and obviously they were putting weight on as they were filming. So realistically, this movie was shot in reverse.
1: The one thing, though, that I would like to point out is that even though they were filming it in reverse order, Steve Zahn in particular still had to be really emaciated at both the beginning of the film and the end. Okay, slightly more more so at the end, but that must be really galling if you're on set with someone and you're having to just eat the bare minimum to keep yourself going and keep this really trim figure and then your co-star is coming in. And he's like, put on another five pounds overnight because he had a massive meal at the hotel or whatever it is that you were staying at.
0: That must be so annoying. True. But, you know, Christian Bale is always very committed to his roles, uh, mm. so much so he was actually eating those worms for real.
1: Yes. Yes, he was. There's a scene in the movie where he gets given, what well, it looks like a plate of chicken feet covered in uh, mealworms. And then he gobbles them up himself, stuffs them in his face. Speaking of Christian Bale losing weight, that was actually a pretty difficult time for him realistically in terms of staying at one weight because he went from the machinist where he was probably even thinner than he is in this movie to massively bulking up perhaps too much so for Batman Begins at the start of shooting then he had to lose more weight before they could actually properly shoot because he just looked too big then he went off to do this and had to go through the whole process yet again and then go back to do the Dark Knight which case his bulk up again Wow. So, yeah, man. And now he's ended up doing, uh, what, was it? what was it? It was the political figure that he ended up playing. Oh, in Vice. Vice. Don yeah, Ron- Cheney? I think so, yeah.
0: I was going to say Donald Rumsfeld, but For it's some not. reason, I, I, thought, it's
1: I, I, I thought it was Ron Cheney. I don't know why. <laughs> Lon Cheney. Lon Cheney. I was Lon Cheney's <laughs> lover. Uh, <laughs> But no, I've never seen a um, Werner Herzog. I've never seen a Werner Herzog picture before. Never experienced human conditions with the eyes of a German. <laughs> um, but it was a fu- it, I say it was a fun watch. It was a lot more enjoyable than I thought it was going to be. It's an enrapturing film. It's a captivating film. The performances definitely do drag you along. The situations feel very, very real. And a couple of nice little touches in there. Like, for example, the character of Gene has got on, the, got on his back... Uh, he, it's very noticeable in one scene where they sat down to dinner. He's got Quo Vadis, which is Latin. And that translates to, where are you going? And then later on, when, spoiler alert, they do escape from the camp, he's basically wandering around going, oh, where am I going? Where do I go? And it, it's a nice little kind of touch... The guy's completely lost without being inside this prison. He's developed such a Stockholm syndrome, and attachment to it all that he doesn't—he doesn't really want to leave. Really, he's—he does got got no real conception of where to go. Yes, and the
0: good thing is, is, you're probably going to come across a lot of Werner Herzog's movies during What's in the Box. Uh, because he has done so many classic movies and documentaries as well, mm-hmm. uh, so you'll you'll become very well acquainted to him. But a good point about this is the story doesn't actually show that Dieter Degler was actually captured twice mm-hmm. in real life, and this is kind of really focused around his second capture without mentioning anything about his being caught once before and escaped so uh yeah it, it is a very interesting story. i I watched it again myself, and I think some of the uh the regulars who listen in have also gone and discovered this film as well after not seeing it mm-hmm. and it is you know just a really well made well lit yes. and uh, so. very well shot movie yeah very patient
1: it's not rushed at all everything has got a chance to to let itself
0: grow and develop naturally. Nothing in it feels like it's forced. Yeah. This prison camp is not your Rambo First Blood Part Two prison camp. It's very authentic. Mm-hmm. And you, you can just see, I mean, obviously, with Werner's very um, crazed style of directing and what he puts his actors through, I can imagine that um, Christian Bale, some of his reactions to some of the things going on <laughs> was utterly genuine. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, let's just let's just focus on Christian Bale for a minute because he's one of these people that he does a lot of character work, but he's—I st- don't know—he still just comes across as kind of Christian Bale, but slightly angry. And it was really weird in this movie to see him
0: smile. <laughs> yes, I remember the the one scene that always like that jumps out to me right now as I'm thinking back on it is, I think, were he playing uh, Russian roulette with him or something like that, and he absolutely loses it. But you can swear this is not actually the character of Dieter Dengel. This is actually Christian Bale, who's yeah. probably had enough. It wouldn't surprise me, knowing Werner Herzog, if there was actually a real bullet in that gun.
1: There probably was, because I mean it wouldn't be the first time a filmmaker shot live ammunition at someone. No,
0: but it's the way Christian Bale is like, do not point that gun at me again. Do not do it again. And it's like... I have a feeling he's not actually acting.
1: <laughs> no, he's uh, he's not actually talking to the guy with the gun. He's talking with Werner Herzog, just off camera. Going, Points a gun at his head and pulls the trigger. Obviously, just yes. a bit to the
0: left. Yeah. But, uh, it, the it... impending enchantment of man's doom.
1: <laughs> also, it's Salisbury steak
0: tonight at the cafeteria. <laughs> so yes. I think you enjoyed uh, What's in the Box for this week.
1: Uh, I did enjoy it when you pulled it out the other week and uh, I, well, I thought it was about that, Steve. I'm uh, talking uh, about yeah. the movie yeah. um, and it was, a, it was a like a Vietnam movie all I could think of was oh no this is going to be another casualties of war this is going to be a horrible kind of painful thing which is going to cut me to the quicker but no I think this is more about the positive side of the human condition more than anything else trying to stay focused and overcome the odds that are presented in front of you. It's a more It's a more upbeat, even though it does deal with some horrible things, because I mean, they are in a prisoner of war camp, but it does feel more upbeat than something like Casualties of War. And like I say, it's based on a true story. This is a real guy who was in the real Navy, and he left uh, about a year after his experiences, went on to become a commercial pilot, and it says at the end of the film he crashed a total of four more times, and then apparently he then went on to change his name to Harrison Ford, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wondered where you were going with that. Yes, hey! Uh, Rescue Dawn is uh, 15 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. It's well we're finding, so it's kind of celebrating an anniversary this week, like one other movie on our radar.
1: We watch them again all of the time or oh, we get them on Prime for free. But we only know how old they are when we learn their anniversary. Put them wagons into a square. That's the one I said last week. I know. I know. I wrote it down because I wanted to use it to make you
0: happy. I was just going to go, uh, let's go cornhole ourselves a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> so anyway, only one anniversary this week. But in truth, there is one kind of celebrating its release this week, which I'm sure in a couple of Years, ten years, whatever. We'll be saying finally because mm-hmm. uh, Free Guy gets released this week. Yes,
1: um, well, I know the I know the plot. It's a guy who finds out that he's an NPC in a video game, but it also kind of just reminds me a little bit of They Live.
0: Because he gets these glasses and he starts seeing the world as it really is. So it kind of looks like a PG version of that. I'm glad you picked up on that because I was thinking the exact same thing. And for people who haven't seen They Live, you you need to go and discover this movie. Oh, it's it's so good. It's ridiculously funny. One of the greatest back alley fight scenes you will ever see in the history of movies. This thing does not end. It, I'm convinced they're still going to this
1: depth. It's got a record, hasn't it, of being like the longest continuous fight scene without
0: any cuts or edits or something like that. The movie would only be one hour and five minutes long if not for this fight scene. Yeah. I guarantee you. But okay. anyway. Before you carry on,
1: on a side note, in Saints Row 4, you've got a guest appearance by both Keith David, who's popped up in the series a lots of times to date, and Rowdy Roddy Piper, and they recreate the fight scene from They Live in the video game. <laughs> that is genius. With, with Rowdy Roddy Piper going, no, Keith, no, it's me, you're in a game. And it's, <laughs> they just keep beating the shit out of each other. It's brilliant.
0: Oh, that is genius. God bless uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. He passed away a number of years ago, right around this time as well. Yeah, something like that, What a legend. But anyway, speaking of which, our anniversary is a movie celebrating 10 years this week, and it is Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Right. Have you seen it? I haven't, no. To be honest, I've never really been a big fan of the Apes series.
1: I've seen a couple of the original ones from the seventies with Charlton Heston, and that's I think I've seen no, I've seen the first two, and I've seen the one where they end up going back in time and the two apes leave a baby ape. That that's it. Okay. Well,
0: the original is a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes was Tim Burton's yeah, Planet of the Apes. It, it was Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. That's that's all we can say. It's it's not fondly remembered by Anyone, I don't think. I remember that was one of the biggest disappointments I had of the 2000s. But I will admit here, I am really digging these recent Planet of the Apes movies. Starting with Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and a favourite of mine is War of the Planet of the Apes, which is absolutely incredible. It really is. It's such a relief because even the original sequels to the original Planet of the Apes in Charlton Heston were really bad. Yeah, you know, they were. Well, they they ranged from passable to pretty bad. So actually, having someone who really cares about this franchise, even though now they're over at Disney, because they were a Fox franchise, mm-hmm. and we'll probably have Rise of the Planet of King Louis or something like that. Something,
1: you know. yeah, it'll be the the Jungle Book variation of it, it it's directed it's like by Jon Favreau.
0: S- it's like waiting to see what they're gonna do with the predator. I'm thinking, God, this is going to be so bad. <laughs> Please don't let it be bad. Please uh-huh. don't let it be as bad as the last one was. Anyway, well, you know? one thing that I will say though, uh,
1: even though I haven't seen it, I do know that it wasn't the first time that Andy Serkis played a monkey. It's very true. He, he- was Kong. Yeah. He was um, Gollum. Gollum. Yeah. He's done loads of motion capture and, oh, getting back onto video game, he also played the character of Monkey in Enslaved uh, Odyssey to the West, which is based on the Chinese story of Monkey and Triptycha and their uh, Odyssey to the
0: West. So he's literally played a character called Monkey before now. So if they're going to make a movie of uh, The Secret of Monkey Island, you know he's getting that call, right? Oh, they already have done it. It's called Pirates of the Caribbean.
1: The guys that made the game took their influence from the ride, and then the ride got made into a film, so it's already been done.
0: Oh, you know? well, there you go. There yeah. you go. Well, yeah, that is uh, the anniversary for this week. I think it's a really good film. Steve, obviously, is not a fan of the franchise. I know. could be easily swayed by the new ones. I just haven't got around to watching them yet. Well, you will, because they're in the box. So, this week, we do not have a guest, so we decided, you know what, there is enough going on in the world of movies that I wanted to bring to the attention. So we thought... We have our little sister show, Pottywood After Dark, uh, which is exclusive for our Patreon subscribers, especially Luke and all of the others that hopefully are on there that I can't be asked remembering the names for. (laughs) I'm a busy man. I'm trying to get your content. Uh, So we decided, why don't we introduce special Pottywood After Dark as the main focus of our show, as we can concentrate on some of the stories currently going around and give our take on them. So... Let's head over to our luxurious jazz bar setting of Pottywood After Dark. Welcome to Pottywood After Dark, because you paid enough for Rated R.
1: Yeah, here we are in
0: this luxurious jazz bar setting. And you'll notice in the background, we have Susie on sax. Yep. We have Tom serving us drinks. Oh, it's Tom to, now, is it? It's it's Tom. I, last mm-hmm. week on the show, I accidentally killed Tom off in, yeah. by a passing comment. But he, he is. He's our original barman. It's Steve, who can never remember his name. Yeah, that's because there's three of them, you see. It's Tom, <laughs> Mark, and Tony. So occasionally, we may even get guests coming in. But this week, we've decided to hit the bar early and start talking about some of this news that is currently out there, and I want to hear Steve's take on it, because I know he doesn't keep up with a lot of the stuff going on in the industry. But no, no, not really. But it'll be interesting to hear what you think of some of these stories I have got from uh, the pottywood rag. Oh, that chip paper thing then. Yes, the thing you can find in the midsection of the big issue. Bless you. Uh, thank you. So, so what have we got to talk about this week? Well, the first story I wanted to get out is something that literally broke uh, today. Bam Margera is now suing the Jackass 4 team for psychological torture. Right. Okay.
1: Yes. Well, this one's a bit of a weird one. Very weird one. Right. Obviously, if you're going to be in something like Jackass, then you're going to be slightly unhinged to begin with. You know, yes. nobody puts themselves through this kind of physical and mental torture that they put themselves through on a regular basis when they were making the series and making the films. But after Jackass three, Ryan Dunn was killed in a car accident. Uh, I'm not I can't remember the exact details. Mm-hmm. But Ryan Dunn was Bamaguerra's closest friend. I think the two of them were grown up together. And yes. they certainly entered Jackass together. Now after that, it became noticeable that Ben Margera was going was on a
0: downward spiral. Major downward spiral. Possibly the biggest downward spiral of anybody in Hollywood currently. And we're talking massively
1: self-destructive here. Um, he's completely unrecognisable. And I, I obviously, I get that he's more or less the same kind of age that we are when you get to your early 40s you, your body kind of gives up on you anyway but no this is something more and a lot of the problems seem to be psychological now when steve-o was going through similar issues he was going through an awful lot of substance abuse mm-hmm. some serious substance abuse and the rest of the team apparently gathered around and were able to sort him out and the Steve-O that you see in Jackass 2 and Jackass 3, it's completely different because in Jackass 3, he's clean. And the the guys around him were saying, no, we, we were sponsored by beer. We were sponsored by Miller. And they said, no, we're not having that on the set. You can keep that away because we want to try and keep as much of that dangerous stuff away from Steve-O to protect him. And from what I can gather, a lot of the similar stuff has been happening with Bam. They've been trying to encourage him to come in. They've been trying to get him support and everything but it seems to be that Bam doesn't want that help.
0: Well, basically, Bam has now been basically precluded from taking part in Jackass 4 that is getting released, uh, I think it's later this year, I'm Mm -hmm. not sure. Now, I've been following this kind of story recently. Bam does have this high-profile struggle with addiction. The people on Jackass and his friends, they did convince uh, the studio, MTV, Paramount, that he should appear in Jackass 4. Paramount had a condition and the condition was that he had to sign this wellness agreement so it was consenting to breathalyzer tests he had, had to have his, his urine examined mm-hmm. you know his, his hair follicles tested and his medication had to be monitored by a doctor uh, via uh, uh, an online uh, kind of like Zoom or something along that time. Makes sense. Now Bam agreed to that and then he broke that contract and he was fired earlier this year and since then BAM has been completely unhinged by what we're seeing in regards to the production team. Basically, what's happened now is uh, he's been slapped with a restraining order because he uh, reportedly had threatened Steve Tremaine's wife and children. Jeff Tremaine. Did I say, what did I say? You said Steve Tremaine. But my apologies, Jeff Tremaine. Now he's responding with legal action of his own. He's filed this lawsuit now against Paramount Pictures, MTV uh, Jetramain, uh, as well as Knoxville, uh, Spikes Johns, and everyone else involved in Jackass 4. Bam Nogera needs help. He does. What he doesn't need is some legal team basically smelling money. And they say it's psychological torture. But Bam is making the situation worse for himself, and he's probably got the worst people behind him, who, people who should be saying, you know what, you need to step away from this and sort your life out. Apparently, uh, this breach in his contract, apparently he was fired because he tested positive for Adderall. The studio was aware, apparently, that he had been prescribed this to treat his ADHD. Mm-hmm. The, the suit kind of against Paramount now, they're saying that this wellness agreement is in breach of California's Fair Employment and Housing Act. So they're saying it's, you know, a, a violation, wrongful discharge, uh, unlawful retaliation, whatever. But Margera is now going on and saying that he deserves full credit for creating Jackass. You know, he says the show wouldn't exist if it wasn't for him uh, and his original CKY videos, and he's entitled to a share of, of all of these profits. And that screams lawyers pushing for money.
1: Yeah, it kind of does. It just. Although, having said that, though, it, you will find a lawyer that will take
0: on anybody. And they will bleed him dry to the point where Bam will be left as a homeless guy pissing behind a dumpster Yeah, within a year. What needs to happen is for Bam to step away from the spotlight. He is burning so many bridges by doing this. And at the end of the day, if he was fired for taking a prescribed medication, and if Paramount and MTV and that were aware of it, yeah, he's going to get a chance at compensation. Yeah,
1: okay, no, I'll give him that.
0: That, That's fair enough. But saying he deserves the full credit for Jackass...
1: No, no. No, no.
0: That, that is somebody basically pulling the strings there. That was
1: why, uh, going back to the creation of Jackass, if you look at the beginning of it, um, the first series wasn't available on home video or DVD for quite a while because there were so many legal rights surrounding it because a lot of the clips that were used in that first series were from CKY... There were also, uh, you also had stuff that was filmed independently by Steve-O, and he was doing all his own stuff. You had Johnny Knoxville was filming all his own stuff. And then you had people like uh, Preston and Weeman, and I think they were coming in to do, to kind of like bulk out the rest of the show. So you had different properties already that were trying to combine all their video footage into one series, and it didn't end up being solidified and becoming Jackass proper until the second series when they were starting to be able to come up with ideas together and put the show out together. So you can't really say that you were
0: the single mind behind it all when you, had, when you had all the rest of it going on. No. They all became famous together through Jackass. Yeah. It is not as if Bam did every single one of those stunts himself. No. He deserves his credit for making CKY and Viva La Bam and, and whatever yeah. else. Yeah. But Jackass was something about people coming together. Yeah. Right? And I'm sorry, but people were doing prank videos and all stuff like that way before Jackass and CKY, just on a really small level. I shot a bloody whole movie of me running into a bloody uh, security wall way before Jackass as a teenager. I was going to say, were you drunk or a kid? Well, it was a security show, and I was not realistically a kid. I was like 20. Were you drunk? I was there you go but yeah but i'm not suing jackass am i no so okay so yeah uh, that's one of the stories second story <laughs> this this is going to be one that's really going to get into a debate for us okay. <clears throat> apparently robert pattinson is unhappy with dc using multiple versions of batman oh yes and look at it this way there were a lot of people and fans who spoke out about robert Pattinson being Bruce Wayne, but I admit the the trailer that I've seen, it looks really good. I've got to admit, and I, I am anxious to see what he's going to do. Right, you know. But at the moment, we've got, we've still got Ben Affleck as Batman. We've got Michael Keaton returning as Batman. Apparently, they're doing a Batman Beyond movie where Michael Keaton will be the older Bruce Wayne in that. Cool, it's so going to be Terry McGuinness, Yeah, you know, which is going to be cool, and apparently. Robert Pattinson is not happy about this competition of this role.
1: Right. On the one hand, I can kind of see where he's coming from because we are now entering into the world of the multiverse. Yes. It's been, I think, the first kind of hint of that was maybe in Doctor Strange. And then if anyone's seen Loki, spoilers if you haven't seen Loki, that properly breaks open the can of worms to do with the multiverse. Now, yes. that's in Marvel. If you look at DC, you've got stuff like The Flash has been doing multiverse stuff for ages. And they've been bringing all sorts in. And they've had. I, I think they already. Have they had the Flashpoint Paradox? Because I think they were doing like um, a TV version of that. Where you had the. Uh, uh, they have in the TV series. In. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've already got the multiverse stuff going on over there. Now. From the point of view of the character, look at the last decade. Decade, suddenly we're in Australia. There, if you look at the <laughs> last. You look at the last decade. Right, Aussie
0: man, nice of you to join us.
1: Yeah, if you look at the last decade, then uh, <laughs> you've got three actors playing Batman in three very different styles of the film. You've got very gritty and realistic stuff with Christian Bale. You've got slightly more comic booky stuff with Ben Affleck, and now you've got this new one with Robert Pattinson, which seems to be going down the very dark, gritty, and violent route. So, you can't say that you should only be the one person to play this role. If that's the case, then you know what, what's going to happen with the rest of it? Look at Shakespeare. You can't just say, oh no, we can only have one version of Macbeth. It doesn't work. You know, you've got loads of people playing Macbeth. So, why on earth should that be any different than with Batman?
0: I'm looking at it from a certain point here where I might be able to understand. And if this is right, then there is a, a bit of um, logic to it. Look throughout the history of all the Batman movies and everything. Has there been a Batman or a person cast as Batman who has ever faced a point where he shelved between two different Batmans at the same time?
1: All right, no, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I think the closest that you could possibly swing for would be Val Kilmer, but he was the Batman in between two Batmen.
0: Exactly, but not. being a Batman being filmed, creating a a new kind of reboot slash franchise in between two existing ones that they're still carrying on with. Mm. That is a hard situation to be in. Yeah. You know, especially if you want to create a certain version. Your fans of Michael Keaton and the fans of Affleck are still getting their versions. What this creates is a very difficult avenue for another Batman to make it. It's never been done before. Would you say that the Justice League
1: is probably responsible for really muddying the waters with this then? Because with that coming out, they would have reinvigorated the interest in Ben Affleck's Batman.
0: I think that Robert Pattinson's Batman is sandwiched into this kind of situation between the Snyderverse and Warner Brothers DC. It's a tough one. Because fans are siding with the Snyderverse, and and rightly so, you know, because the Justice League there was fantastic. Whereas Warner Brothers version of Justice League was abysmal. It, It literally was, you know, cut up loads of pieces of film, throw it into a blender and see what comes out. Well, yeah. And, you know, their plan was let's scrap the Batman with Affleck that we were doing, that Jay worked on as well. You know, they scrapped that, which apparently was absolutely amazing in the script form, in order to do this Robert Pattinson's Batman, which was met... I wouldn't even say lukewarm. (laughs) I think fans dived all over this like it was a slap in the face.
1: Okay, this has happened before. When Michael Keaton first got offered the role of Batman, there was loads of people saying, no, a comedian can't play Batman. And he did it really well. When uh, Heath Ledger got offered the role of the Joker, everyone was saying, no, he's a pretty boy rom-com star he can't play a joker and he did it really well i still am struggling to get over even though i know that robert patterson has done lots of really good stuff in the interim he's worked really really hard to build himself as a legitimate actor with stuff like the lighthouse but i cannot get him out of my head as being the guy from twilight and in my head i cannot marry that person with batman it's like it's trying to it's like trying to have coke and milk at the same time. It doesn't
0: work. we understand that that was obviously the franchise that catapulted Robert Pattinson, but it was not a joyous showcase no it's it has more haters than lovers of it. This is not Harry Potter. This is actually the reverse of Harry Potter. It was a much loathed uh, I think it was one of the first instances where I saw a movie franchise was loathed by people. It gave they us fifty shades of it. gray for God's sake, yeah. Exactly. But what we've got to really look at here is I do feel a little bit of sympathy for how it might not be fair competition yeah. for Robin Patterson's Batman. And I, I've i seen the, the trailer they put out for it. It looks brilliant. I've got to admit, it looks really good. Apparently this is going to be like three hours long, this movie. And the characters all look great. You know, it looks sinister. It's really dark. It's probably going to be rated R, which is fantastic mm-hmm. uh, i hope it is i really want to see that this kind of dark stuff that you see in the the animated movies like in you know, the stuff that jay's done and and sam Lou and everyone else does but i do feel it is a bit unfair because it was greenlit it's it, it got put back you know a lot of work has been put into it nick even worked on it doing stunts as well and mm-hmm. um, i think too many people fell in love with this whole multiverse thing oh you know we can just do it as well But the competition to go up against Ben Affleck's Batman and Michael Keaton's Batman, who are established and loved, and your movie being sandwiched between them, it's really harsh. This is why I
1: think that Warner Brothers doesn't have any balls. They are so focused on trying to ape what is happening in the MCU. They're neglecting what they actually have. They're neglecting their potential storylines that they could build themselves. Make their original movies the way that they were intending to do. Instead of just rushing and trying to chase after this thing that you're constantly catching up with. It. See, it's pointless because ultimately you're going to be comparing yourself to someone else as opposed to standing on your own two feet
0: and creating your own stuff. For that, I do want Robert Pattinson's Batman to break out and I do want it to be a hit because I think it deserves to be with all the work that's been put into it it's a unique vision and comic book fans and and this is me speaking as a comic book movie fan as well they are kind of dicks (laughs) sometimes when it comes to Friday I think we can all agree because we can be it's like we want it to be a certain way and we're going to review bomb shit we are going to review bomb this movie because it's not our version of it yeah And that's what I feel is going to happen with Robert Pattinson's Batman. Before it's even released, it is going to get review bombed, which is unfair and you people should just stop. Stop being so goddamn self entitled. Give the movie a chance. If you want more Batmans, don't bloody firebomb your chances of them continuing. Watch it, take it for what it is and enjoy the fact that you've got it. 20 years ago, you had to wait 4 or 5 years to get a decent comic book movie. Now you're getting, what, two a month? Something like that. Stop pissing in your own well. Watch the damn movies and enjoy the fact that you, you've you got them. Well, I have some news for you, Steve. Go on then, Andrew! And, and this is either going to make you incredibly happy or really angry. Go on, which one is it? Okay. In an article, that basically says Lucasfilm reportedly developing the biggest Star Wars movie yet. Okay... Basically, uh, apparently, the, uh, the this future movie in the franchise is going to be the biggest and costliest one yet, which is even more room for concern. <sighs> it's not going to be uh, Patsy Jenkins' Rogue Squadron. That. Uh, so it's going to be either one of the ones dated for 2025 or 2027. Uh, and it's going to come from Kevin Feige and Taiko Waititi, respectively. Right, now
1: that last bit that works. That works quite well because anyone who's talked to me about Star Wars will know that I have very little to no love for the sequel movies. But I still think that The Last Jedi is by far and away the worst big budget movie that I've ever seen. And increasing the budget of a movie like that does
0: not necessarily mean that you're going to get a good film. The Last Jedi is the biggest budgeted Star Wars movie that was ever made. Apparently it set the studio back as much as I think it was around three hundred and fifteen. Three hundred and twenty million, and it's a sack of shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to mince with it because I know that you said, you said, you said in the past, you said in the past to me that I need to be careful what I say about movies because just in case yeah. I end up pissing off someone who we might get in the show. No, as far as this movie is concerned, I hate it. I think it
0: is absolute fucking garbage. And yet, while you have a really good soft spot for Solo, the extensive reshoots on that push the budget towards three hundred million. Disney so far haven't made a movie from Star Wars that's cost less than 250 million dollars, and if this movie they talk about is set to be the biggest ever, it's probably going to be one of the most expensive projects in history.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't need to.
0: It doesn't need to. It
1: doesn't need to be that at all. You know, it, it, if you wind that back and look at the originals, I think the first one was made for fourteen. That was on top of the original. No, it was made for about $14 million, but the original budget was something like about 9 or $10 million. Now, okay, you've got a relatively unknown filmmaker because he only really had THX 1138 and American Graffiti out at the time. And you don't need to throw shit tons of cash at something. You just need to have a good script, good characters and a fun adventure. That's it. Everything yeah. else, you can, you, you can just stick them on a planet and just do something with that. Okay, yeah, I know it's called Star Wars, but they're trapped on a planet somehow and they have to get off it. There you go, boom. That way you can pick somewhere, pick like, I don't know, a jungle or something to film in. Boom, you've done it. You don't have to just keep throwing money at it because as it's proved, you could throw as much money as you want at it. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be any good.
0: Which, funnily enough, leaks into our next story. Which is... <sighs> I don't even know where to start with this one. I'll start with the name. Vin Diesel. Right. Reportedly wants time travel in the next Fast and (laughs) Furious. Okay.
1: Right. Before you carry on, I did read somewhere, and it said that any long-running series, when it runs out of steam... Because they automatically will when they start running so long, will ultimately resort to time travel.
0: Yeah, there you go. Uh, I mean, how insane do you need a series to actually get? They may as well just go oh, f- it. <laughs> Whatever. Throw everything in. I've I've heard this one about the Jurassic World crossover. Yeah. And now it's time travel uh, and. You know, what what the hell? Right. Yet again. I mean, the, come on. The, this how... is
1: this is my point about budget and everything. The budgets of the Fast and the Furious movies have got bigger and bigger and bigger. The spectacles got bigger and bigger and bigger. And year ages ago, when we were doing our little special where we were talking about the movies which which we think deserve a bit more recognition, we came up with Ronin. Yes. And that is a perfect example of a really tight, small budget film which has amazing car chases in it done real realistically now if you were to take something like Fast and the Furious shrink it all down trim off all the fat get rid of all of the exhaustive CGI that's going on in there and just focus on making a really tight genuine action-packed car movie with real stunts you could invigorate that franchise once again yeah
0: Uh, I think no pun intended it's time to park it yeah all right it is time just to say you've not only jumped the shark, you've jumped the shark, reversed, turned into a submarine and blew the her up.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then et it. Never mind crossing over with Jurassic World, so you get getting to cross over with the Transformers.
0: Oh, don't. Don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm just... I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I, re- I honestly cannot sit through... I know Fast 9 is there and I know I'm going to have to watch it at some point, but I can't do this. I see friends of mine who are intelligent, well-educated people and it's, they're there checking in watching F9.
1: Which for me is just a button
0: on a keyboard. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I don't even know what F9 does, but I guarantee you it makes more sense than Fast and Furious 9. Uh, on a MacBook, it skips or fast forwards. Right, which is what we should actually do with the rest of this franchise. There we go! My God, that has lined up well, hasn't it? That has lined up brilliantly. You know, I'd be happy with that. But yeah, well, as soon as I read it, I was like, really? You know, I, I can't... I can't stand this. I can't do it anymore. You know, and obviously a hell of a lot of fun to make, but for me, it's, it's painful to watch. I like a bit of reality. You know, it's something that's they left reality behind a long time ago my friend time travel (laughs) (laughs) so um what what do you kind of think about all this um the council culture is kind of now focusing in on chris pratt oh what's he done now nothing (laughs) which is exactly highlights what the problem with council culture is Right Now, apparently, he was absent from uh, a fundraiser, an Avengers-themed fundraiser that was being held by uh, Joe Biden's presidential campaign. Right. And because he didn't take part in it, everyone on Twitter basically started calling him homophobic white supremacist. Okay. Uh Yeah, it doesn't make sense. He did absolutely nothing. And yeah, I know that he got in some trouble over some poorly worded Twitter post when he was promoting one of his movies. I think it was Onward. Robert Downey Jr. didn't send this fundraiser either. And no one's having a go at him. And no, no one's having a oh. go at him. You know, And now th- there's a movement going around where they're asking where these cancel culture morons, suggesting that Jack Black replaced Chris Pat for every role he's ever done in his entire oh, career. God.
1: Right, I've already opened up in here... cancel culture right now because you cannot say or do or think anything without someone on the internet getting massively offended by it there's probably someone out there that's just listened to what i've said just then and then got offended by the fact that they've now been offended by it yeah no this is the thing right if you're going to bring up something that you did in the past if you bring up something which i put on social media about 10 years ago that isn't me now. That was me 10 years ago. And anyone that says that the same person 10 years on is absolutely lying. Attitudes change. Opinions change. You start to grow and develop as a human being. You start... <laughs> right now, I'm in a position that I never thought I would be in 10 years ago with pretty much a family. And you compare that to the guy I was when I was 30. Completely different bloke. Oh, yeah. I, I, you, same here. And, and not only that, but some people just go out of their way to be offended. And it doesn't matter what it is. One of the best examples that I can think of about this is in the Discworld books. The Discworld books, if you haven't read them, it's like a fantasy series. It's basically what would happen if Lord of the Rings had a sense of humour. They're brilliant, go check them down, they're great. Uh, there's a city in it called Ankh Morpork, and lots of dwarves come down and they live in the city. And there's this campaign that's been set up called the Campaign for Equal Heights. Not rights, heights. Because they're dwarves. And it's all about equal rights for dwarves. But the thing is, there are no dwarves in it, because the actual dwarves are far too busy getting on with their day-to-day life than getting involved in that sort of thing. And I get the feeling that most of the people that get offended are getting offended on behalf of the people who should get offended, but don't actually care to get offended because they don't give a shit. Exactly.
0: No, Fully agree with you on that. Yeah. Okay, here's a question for you, Steve. Go on. Is the Terminator fully dead as a franchise? I would say yes. I honestly think
1: that the Terminator franchise was dead the moment that Terminator 3 crawled out the ocean. As far as I'm concerned, it had a brief moment of life again with Terminator Salvation, because say what you like about yes. it, at least, but at least it told an original angle on the story. But every single I movie has been the same. Terminator gets sent to the past to protect someone, another Terminator gets sent from the future to kill them, and yeah, they're
0: all the same. It's dead, it's done, move on do something else exactly Terminator Genesis was not loved at all no a lot of people kind of hated that it kind of took liberties with Terminator and Terminator 2 Uh, Terminator Salvation I really liked I thought it was a brave new direction separate from the original movies and worked really well yep Uh, Terminator TV series you know I enjoyed it but it's not something that I would go out of my way to acknowledge
1: yeah I haven't seen that so
0: I'll, I'll take word on that one yeah And Dark Fate, have you seen Dark Fate? I haven't, I couldn't bring myself to watch it Okay, it's not bad It's actually enjoyable, I will admit But no matter what A lot of people kind of lost interest in The Terminator with that movie And it lost over 120 million, I believe And Linda Hamilton returned in this movie, for God's sake James Cameron, you know, he was a producer on it And a co-writer on it as well Right But where the problem with the Terminator franchise is, is it was our generation of stuff. And I don't think the people who have come along in this business know what they want from that. No. Realistically, the sequel shouldn't have worked. Terminator 2, Judgment Day shouldn't have worked, but they made it work.
1: They, they made it work by taking a different angle with it because the original was basically a horror story.
0: Yeah, and no one has seemed to learn in any of these Terminator movies that when you leave a piece of a robot behind, it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. It means someone else is going to build one. Rise of the Machines was not good. No, so- sorry, Bill. I know that you worked on that one. Um, I lost
1: interest in that movie
0: the moment that he put on the star sunglasses. <laughs> That's exactly the point that I lost interest in it as yep. well, which was in the first five minutes. Oh, it was—it was just really. Te- and Christiana Loken hasn't done anything on that level ever again. No, she I don't hasn't. believe Who was the, the Terminatrix. Ugh.
1: Yeah, that was another thing as well. It was just really crass exploitation. Like, oh, what can we do now? Oh, I know. Let's make the new Terminator blonde and have big boobs.
0: That'll be great. Well, she doesn't start with big boobs. She grows big boobs when she gets pulled over by a copper. Yeah. And it's like some machine in the future decided that we have created the perfect killing machine. What can we put on it? Let's... Give it the ability to grow its tits <laughs> You know I'm, I'm sorry it's, it was just such a dramatic misfire. I went to the cinemas to see it and I think I didn't stay. I'm pretty sure I marched out of it. I am going to give a controversial statement. The Terminator franchise should have carried on from Terminator Salvation.
1: Okay, no, I I agree with that.
0: Terminator Salvation does not get the credit that it deserves. I thought it was really good. I still like it. Any movie that has nine-inch nails doing this movie in the trailer instantly wins me over. But the movie itself was just so good. And it was a disappointment when Terminator Genisys came along because that was the point where I felt really separated from that franchise. Because it was it was trying to reboot it, change all the characters. Like we had Amelia Clark, who is no Sarah Connor, no, at all. Jay Courtney, who is no Kyle Reese, <laughs> no, right. And I remember I, I was sat with my partner, and we were watching it, and she turned around halfway through and saying, "This is really shit." <laughs> I was struggling in my head to find one defence so we could carry on watching the rest of it. I really couldn't. Even Maybe the guy they got up. for John Connor was just wrong. No, I know, right? And it was like, whoa, this is just... Uh, and when we finished watching it, it was like, I'm, I'm never going to watch that again because it was it's a bit painful. And it's not the director's fault. The director is incredibly confident and really good director. Alan... I want to say yeah, Alan top? Martin. No, no. <laughs> um, Alan Taylor, Alan Martin, I do apologise if he is listening. Sorry, I'll Um, cut that out. But yeah, uh, and you know, he directed stuff like Game of Thrones and and a lot of good stuff. And it was like, if this is the script they gave you and told you it's this or nothing. Why uh, didn't use uh, nothing? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, maybe that's the director's vision on it. And I'm sure sitting around the table, there was really good ideas around it. Yeah. The only positive is you had Arnie in it, which I think they're too scared to step away from having Arnie in it.
1: Okay. Well, it's too late now. The die is cast. It
0: is. Oh, well. Yes. In other news, Corey Feldman says he might be done with acting. The Lost Boy stuff has said he might be done with acting, uh, which I don't think is a bad thing. And that's nothing against Corey Feldman, but I know there was a lot of embarrassment over his documentary uh, that he made and its screening night, which was wince-inducing. Yeah, didn't it all crash or something, and he was saying that
1: they were being hacked? Oh, uh, it was... I've only seen little clips, I'm
0: not sure of the entire context yeah, on it. I, I was watching like the footage, and I've seen the YouTube videos, and if this was done for publicity purposes and stuff like that, okay, yeah, it was, it was mildly entertaining. But you can see the press and the people who were there when it's like, oh, we've crashed, and we've got this guy there on a laptop. He's basically just saying, oh, we're definitely getting hacked from the mainframe. And he's basically saying all the shit you'd expect to hear in like a bad BBC spooks episode. And Corey Feldman's then reiterating to everyone. He's like turning around with his microphone saying, they're hacking us. They don't want us to see this. And it's like, uh... or it could just be the guy who was bluffing while
1: he restarted Windows. (laughs) Yes, you know. VLC yeah. played decided it was going to crash just at that particular moment and take Windows down with it, so he just needs a reboot. There you go, sorted. Yeah.
0: Yes, but yeah, um, and it's funny because uh, I watched The Lost Boys again the other night, uh, just on a whim. Really, I'd watch it on the television.
1: Hey. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, Steve, this is why you don't have any real friends. <laughs> now, getting on that, I'm just going to move on to some more quickfire stories. Okay. The fact that the uh, South Park creators, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, have signed a $900 million deal to make 14 South Park movies for Paramount+. Plus. make it. This is 20 years overdue. Yeah. South Park the movie was over 20 years ago and it's still one of the most hilarious movies ever. A lot of us have grown up and some of us haven't. But um, it's it's going to be interesting. I reckon some of the, it's not going to be like Futurama's Bender's big score and stuff like that, you know. These are actually going to be movies, so they've got to go all out because 14 movies is a hell of a lot. 900 million. That's ridiculous.
1: That is absolutely ridiculous. I don't think it's worth that much.
0: And speaking of 900 million, do you know that No Time to Die reportedly needs 900 million just to break even? That film is flopping. Hard. Very hard. You know, And I'm going to blame a lot of the pushback. You know, They've pushed this film back so many times that oh, I don't think a majority of people care anymore. The fact that they're kind of stepping away from James Bond with this movie, spoiler alert, but they are, And the word on the street is apparently he's going to be replaced by a female Jane Bond, maybe? Who knows? I think that's not sitting well. And I think people are like, why do you have to quit James Bond? You know, why, why does this have to fall into that woke culture? I don't know. You know, you can easily do a spin off of a female James Bond if you wanted. I think there's a lot of people who are a bit disinterested and it's going to be a very wince-inducing week when that is released because you will know within the first four or five days how badly that film is going to go. Well, it's taken
1: long enough for it to come out, even before the pandemic. So let's let's just, as far as I'm
0: concerned, let's just rip this Band-Aid off and see how we get. And I'll watch it. You know, the initial jokes that we had about No Time To Die being no time to get released. <laughs> you know, it's Unfortunately, it is going to be a thing. I mean, MGM have kind of signed up to Prime. Mm-hmm. The biggest mistake that they can do now is release that movie within a week of it being released theatrically. Which they will do, because that is the style at the time. They need to extend those theatrical windows again. Yeah. I mean... Suicide Squad got a week release, I think, in the UK, and maybe something like five days theatrically before it was released on HBO Max, or it might have been released on HBO Max the same time as the American release. But they need longer, and I am in favour of going back to the model. Give them at least eight weeks. Eight weeks theatrical run. Add a push Six give them six weeks before you catapult them into an avenue where piracy is going to give it to everyone for free mm. well, i agree no so that's that's uh basically it well you know i think i'm going to leave it there for these kind of stories it's been a bit of a, a different approach this week because we thought there's enough going on there that people are going to want to hear about so yeah, this is
1: just a little taste of the, the stuff that you can get from Pottywood After Dark. Which, in case you don't know, you can get, as Andy said earlier, as a subscriber to us on
0: uh, patreon.com forward slash Pottywood. And we want to hear from you guys. You know, we want to hear your reactions to these stories, what you think of them. Obviously, new news comes out every single day, so this might be outdated and new developments in these stories might have come along by that point. Mm-hmm. But we want to hear from you as movie-loving people, as movie industry people. We want to hear uh, your take on stuff. We want to get engaged in discussion. We don't want it to be a, a slanging match or a cancel culture movement or this side or the other. We want to hear serious you know, debates and thoughts and sources and things like that. So get engaged. Talk with us through all of our channels, uh, all of our comments boxes, inboxes if you need to. Yes. And
1: you can get in touch with us all over the place on Facebook and Twitter at Poddywood. You can follow us on Reddit at r slash And uh, in case you're also interested, Poddywood is now available on Audible. It is, indeed. Mm-hmm. Join us on the Audibles. Yes. So I think now that that was the end of After Dark. But before we go, we still need to nominate five. Now's the
0: time to nominate five. Nominate five? Yes, nominate five. Not three or four or six or nine. Now's the time to nominate, nominate five. There we go. We got it in. Yeah, it, it's,
1: it's not quite as much fun if we haven't got a guest who's then going, Oh my God, what is that song all about?
0: Because ah. we've heard it a lot, you see. We've heard that song. Steve has it more than anyone, because he has to edit the show together. And aren't you glad we actually do it live?
1: Yeah. He says, noting the runtime of this particular episode and then realising that's the rest of his week up the spout. Anyway. uh, (laughs) (laughs) So what is Nominate 5 about, Andy?
0: Well, Nominate 5 is usually the segment of the show where we ask our guest, whoever it would be, to nominate 5 of a certain category. And because we do not have a special guest this week, I basically threw it on. To my co-host and editor and man of many talents, all of them minor, Steve Hester. Hello. And because he is such an utter gaming nerd, more than he is a movie nerd. Yes, yes, that's true. I've asked him this week to nominate five of the cheesiest game conversions into movies. Yes. And if he doesn't get the countdown right this week, I have no <laughs> <f-ing> idea how. <laughs> Yeah, I've got no excuse, have I? Yeah, I have no excuse. We are definitely cursed. So let's let's try. We'll do it slowly so we don't okay. screw it up. Okay. So, Steve.
1: We'll do it slowly then. All right. Uh, before we carry on, I, it, I was wrecking my main, the, the worst. You're possible. wrecking your main? I was wrecking my main, man. I was wrecking, You're wrecking my, my main, man. I was racking my brain trying to think, okay, what were the worst ones? And all I could think of were movies by Uwe Boll. Uh, I was thinking of all the best ones, and all the best ones seem to have happened recently. And I I haven't seen a lot of those ones yet because I've just not got around to it. So these are ones which have come out over the last 20 years, and they're just cheesy. They're not bad. They're not good. They're just cheesy. Right. Okay. Well, this,
0: this is going to be interesting. So let's start us off at number five.
1: All right. Now, you may disagree with a few of these. But number five, I'm going to go with Doom. And I'm not talking about the one which came out recently. I'm talking about
0: the one with Rock the Dwayne Johnson and Carl Urban. The other one is Doom Annihilation, by the way. Yes. Which I haven't seen, so I cannot comment. I haven't seen
1: either, but I just I read early reviews and I decided that I would do better things with my life. So Doom, it's basically aliens... It sidestepped an awful lot of the demonic influence that was in the game. All the stuff to do with hell and there's no pentagrams everywhere and so on. And it's more based around ancient markers that are in our DNA that when get triggered can either turn you into a superhero or turn you into a monster. And it's it's roughly... 90 minutes to two hours of guys with guns running around and getting picked off one by one by big monsters. But everything's all done mostly on screen. It's all animatronics or puppets and everything, which is which I always think works out better in terms of monsters than something which is CGI. You can always tell the difference when it comes to CGI. And uh, in there as well, you've also got one of the few turns as of The Rock as a bad guy.
0: Yeah. You know what? I love this movie. Because it is it's brainless fun. And also it is one of those movies like Deep Rising that qualifies for an amazing tax credit from having every kind of ethnicity in a movie. And how much they must have got for putting Dexter Fletcher in there as Pinky. Dexter Fletcher. Dexter Fletcher. But you you've got Carl Urban, Australian you got Rosemond Pike, who is English, as best to my knowledge. Uh-huh. You've got your big Samoan beefcake in, in Dwayne Johnson, who's also American, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you've got a guy who plays Destroyer, who's uh, black. Then you've got his uh, goat, there's Duke, there's Portman. I even remember all the names. That's Jesus, cool. I'm really impressed with that one, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. And it was directed by Andres uh, Bartz-Koayek. I know I've got that name wrong. <laughs> I so apologise if you're listening. But uh, I actually went to the cinemas to see it, and uh, I have since seen the uncut version as well. And it's such an inoffensive watch. You know, it's it, yeah. just it is just a ridiculous action movie with lots of gore and blood. And you even get a laugh with the whole first-person scene, which is it's freaking really, ridiculous.
1: Yeah, you got to admit that the whole first-person scene is really well done as well.
0: It, it's really well done, but I remember the laughter in the cinemas when like people were watching it, and it was like, you know what? If you're part of the bloody disgusting crowd and you just want to see some just out-and-out carnage and gore and stuff like that, and it, it's just a really fun uh, movie. It doesn't get its due, I don't think. And uh, Dwayne was actually... It was originally offered the, um, the John Grimm rule, yeah, he was, and then he ended up swapping it because he thought the Sard role was more interesting. Yes, yeah, you know, and, and uh, I think this was the first time I ever heard Dwayne Johnson swear in a movie. Yeah, and you know, fourteen days were spent on that first-person shooter sequence. That's like half of the amount of time it took to make the movie. Uh, it's ridiculous, Fi, isn't it, man? Simplify. but no, uh, I'll agree with you there. I am a fan of Dune and uh, Dune, Doom. Dune, Dune. I'm a fan of Dune as well, if you want to go for real video game conversions. But no, um, None of your Doom, shit here. Uh I do actually own on Blu-ray, and yeah. uh, I do crack it out every now and again. Yeah, what you do in your privacy, if you're on home, that's entirely up to
1: you. Okay, next, uh, number four, I am going to go for Tomb Raider. The Angelina
0: Jolie Tomb Raider. Ah, it's just called Lara Croft Tomb Raider, isn't it? Yeah. It didn't have a a kind of subheading like Cradle of Life. That was the second one.
1: Yeah. Well, it's actually kind of weird. I, I suppose you could kind of meld the two of them in together because they are relatively very indistinguishable from each other. But they are just basic, cheesy adventure movies. There's a nice little kind of time travel element, but the plots of both films are more or less identical You know, she ends up going on an adventure after a MacGuffin. There's a guy from her past. The first one is Jared Butler. No, wait, the first one is Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. The second one's Jared Butler. And then they have to grab some kind of mystical device before some evil person gets hold of it. And it's it's lifted directly out of the games. It really is pretty much lock, stock and barrel in terms of style and feel, even though not in exact content. And they're, they're just... I, I don't think they're great films by any stretch of the imagination, but they are one of those that you just... If if it's on, you can just go, oh,
0: yeah, I remember this, and just kind of switch your brain off for an hour or so. Very true. Uh, I mean, uh, I've got no beef with uh, the Lara Croft movies, the Angelina Jolie ones. I didn't enjoy the more recent Tomb Raider movie, it didn't offer anything new for me. No. But when you've got Chris Barry playing Hillary, the butler. Yes. Individuals. Uh, it took me back to when I used to play the game and he used to follow you around with that silver tray. Yes. Winston, <laughs> he was called in the game. Winston in Winston, the game. Yeah, and yes. it's Hillary in the movies. Yeah, because Winston was an uh, old man. And it was freaking annoying because it was only the tutorial level, but he'd like follow you around everywhere. And in the movie, there's um, a scene where she's like smashing like the place up and he holds up uh, a silver tray to like protect himself. I was like, oh, nice. That's a nice little throw in there. I'd love to wrap it around his face <laughs> <laughs> for falling around. But now, um, that was directed by, I believe, Simon West. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, who directed it. Who's a very kind of undervalued action director who directed Con Air. Yeah, yeah. And now that's a, that's another cheesy great as well. Oh, yeah. For now, and, and to be.
1: To be the same honest, school
0: it... as uh, the Rock. Yeah, and the one thing about Lowercraft Tomb Raider, there was actually a bit of effort put into the villain, where a lot yeah. of them are usually just very blank, very generic, very cookie cutter. Yeah, yeah, pick him out of a bag. Okay, no, good choice. Number three.
1: Uh, number three, and here's well, this whole list is going to be a bit predictable, really, because if you're looking for cheese, then you know cheese just exists on its <laughs> own level. Uh, number three is going to be the Paul W. S. Anderson Mortal Kombat. Uh, Yeah, yeah. it's the first one. It's not the second one. uh, Because Annihilation is just absolutely rotten. Annihilation (laughs) is shockingly bad. That doesn't even deserve to be put on a so bad it's good list. It's just bad. Uh, but the first one, it, it does exactly what it says on the tin. It sticks close to the formula of the game, with it being a tournament on an island, fate of the world at stake, Yada yada yada. It's got kind of a little bit of a hint of something like um, Enter the Dragon, you know, everything just kind of fits nicely. They're not trying to crowbar in too many characters. Each of the characters have got their own little arcs, nothing kind of brilliant or groundbreaking uh some of the martial arts sequences are good some of the effects are goddamn awful um <laughs> the least said about reptile at the end the better by god oh my god um and you've got uh, you've got what's his name is it carrie tagawa who played shao oh, khan yeah. um who they've got back in the recent games actually to play shao khan so it's kind of come full circle that way with him coming back. Uh, but yeah, it's I, I love this film. I think it's absolute cheese, absolute schlock. And in nod to our guest from the other week, Russell Mackay, it's also got Christopher Lambert
0: in it as Ryden. It does indeed. And um, even better than that, what was I thinking? It's got the best version of Kano in any of the movies yeah. Trevor Goddard from Deep Rising. <laughs> Yep. Who is the uh, the ultimate lookalike for Aidan Callahan on the planet? But yeah, uh, I was so excited for that movie as a kid, as a teenager, just waiting for it to come out. And it felt it like it took years to come out when, realistically, it was probably only six months. Yeah. But it felt so long because it, this was. After Street Fighter, and I remember all the buzz around Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat coming out, I still remember the day I saw the first footage uh, in a trailer for that movie, and I was so excited. Um, uh, Absolutely brilliant choice. Uh, This was Mm -hmm. back before uh, Paul W.S. Anderson kind of became that director for hire on old video game movies I guess. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um,
1: and also the uh, I, I can't remember who you said was the guy that played Kano, but his portrayal of the character then influenced the makers of the game to then turn Kano into a was it a Kiwi or was he Australian? Whatever it was, they they, they ended up changing the character because of his
0: performance in the film. Yeah, it was the late uh, Trevor Goddard who's actually English. He was from Surrey. Oh, right. I'd you believe Yes, uh, the last time anyone saw him was... Um, he died in 2003, shortly after doing Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, oh, yes, of, of course, Blackpool, yes. yes I, he played I, Grapple in that.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing him in that, There. Yeah,
0: you know, and he, he had done a lot of action movies and, and stuff like that, so he was kind of... He'd always kind of double as a, um Australian, when he was an Australian, hmm. as far as we you know. But, you know, he's in uh, Deep Rising, which is what I always remember him. We've got to do an episode on Deep Rising alone. We have alone. to, yeah. yeah. This is going to be our first ever watch-along for people. We're going to invite people to come and watch this with us. But, you know, he'd done um, a lot of TV, done loads of stuff like Baywatch and Renegade. <laughs> That's <laughs> Renegade. <laughs> what a show. Oh, looks but, like
1: he's getting away, Renegade. Yeah.
0: The Johnny Cage character was actually modelled on Jean-Claude yeah. Van Damme. Oh, yeah, without th- a question. And I'd love to see it. those were $500 sunglasses, asshole. I would, <laughs> I would love to have seen it. Apparently, there's a bit of a drive at the moment to have WWE's The Miz play um, Johnny Cage. That would work so well. It, isn't that inspired? That would work so well. Because The Miz character is basically Johnny Cage since day one, without the martial arts. And you can teach martial arts or get him a stunt double. You know, God knows if that will be Damien Sandow. There's a little throwback to uh, WWE fans there. Um, But, yeah, uh, I would be so for that. But, no, uh, great choice. Going to screw up the countdown now. Are we at number two?
1: We are at number two. Uh, Number two is
0: Resident Evil. Ah, the first one?
1: Yes, the first one. Because, it, no no offence to... Yeah, again, no offence to Russell. Uh, but there was definitely a law of diminishing returns with these movies. Even though each of the movies did end up making enough back to warrant further sequels. In terms of actual quality, oh no, they started low and then they kept on getting worse. But there is something about the first one. Which is a cheesy, schlocky, dirty, horror flick which is just, is just switch your brain off material. There's nothing particularly extreme in it yeah, for for anyone's taste, really. So as you, so you could say, it's a bit middle of the road. But it's just got wonderful moments like Miliovovich jumping off a wall and kicking a dog in the face. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's worth the price of admission alone for that. Also, seeing how long um, Michelle Rodriguez, seeing how long she lasts after getting... Bitten by a zombie, she lost pretty much. She gets bitten within like the first five minutes, and
0: she's still human by the last five it minutes. Took it's her the entire movie,
1: <laughs> yeah, to
0: actually turned into a zombie where everyone else would turn within you know five minutes. I mean, this was Paul W. S. Anderson again. Mm-hmm. I remember it fondly. I did go to the cinemas to see it as well. Yeah, like I've been to see a lot of these at the cinemas. I think I'd seen more game conversions than any other type of movie. Um, you know, Michelle Rodriguez was very adamant that she wanted to be involved in this project from even before it was greenlit mm-hmm. you know she was a, a big fan of the games it, it really is just a, a another fun zombie movie i think it was i remember it having a different title originally i think it was called resident evil ground zero and i think they changed it following nine eleven, september 11 yeah, yeah. Because I remember the first kind of things of it being Resident Evil Ground Zero and uh, the change. And and Miller Jovovich had an entire career based off um, these franchises. I mean, she kept going all throughout the 2000s from this franchise, really. Um, as I mentioned the other week, you know,
1: she married Paul W.S. Anderson and he, I think he directed the first two could be wrong with that i think someone else might have directed the second one yes uh, he but did the he... first two and then russell did the third uh but then i also think he came back for the last one which i haven't seen because at that point i was just i was so baffled trying to keep up with what the ongoing plot was that i couldn't i i just lost all track of it so now that's that done
0: and so people may not remember that Mila joshovic wasn't the original choice for alice originally it was going to be sarah michelle geller mhm that's right Imagine how different that would have been. Yeah, staking him through the heart instead. <laughs> yeah. But yes, um, and the main reason it had a, a mainly kind of British cast was because it was actually filmed a lot in Europe. Yeah, I think it was Germany. I'm pretty sure it was Germany a lot. Of I think it was. It was yeah. In... Uh, I think going
1: but going back a few bits actually, I think Doom was filmed in Poland or somewhere. Just to somewhere try and, like that. just
0: to try and keep the budget down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's amazing how many films, game conversions especially, yeah, uh, that happens quite a lot with. Because I think, I think Mario Brothers was even done in, I want to say Mexico. Uh, I could be wrong, it,
1: it was somewhere where there was like a massive heat wave or something, and they were filming in an old cement factory. I, I think you know, tell like I, think, I actually think it was somewhere like Baltimore or something like that. But I could be
0: wrong. But yes, uh, Resident Evil. Uh, this has the distinction for me for being. The one film where the film snapped in the cinemas more than three times. Oh, wow. Oh, um, yeah. Zombies eating the reels. And they would not give the money back, saying, well, you did eventually get to see all of the film. <laughs> that was the genuine excuse from the cinema, who did not want to give a refund. It's like, well, you actually stayed and watched all of it. Bastards. Well, how about you give me a free ticket, which I did eventually get. Good. And Good. then I spent it on um Dog Soldiers. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, it's so not bad. Yeah. Okay then. So I guess we're at number one, and yes. I have a feeling I might know where this is going, but I will just go with it, and let's just see if we, if we get the right thing here. What is your number one, Steve? Well, I guess you couldn't see that coming, could you?
1: <laughs> yes, it is. It is the ultimate cheesy movie video game adaptation. It is Street Fighter. Not the wonderful Street Fighter anime that uh, Jay brought up ages ago. No, this is the Jean-Claude Van Damme Raoul Julia absolute cheese fest that is so wonderful. It's, it, this is, the for me, the very definition of so bad, it's good. I love this movie. <laughs> and so do I. This movie is so dreadful. The acting in it is awful, particularly, oh. uh, what's his name, Suwada, But Connell you a uh, fleet of our transports okay it's no no good okay no this isn't even a language problem this isn't even an accent problem this is an acting problem oh my god it could they have not just got someone who knew how to act? He's got like one line in the entire film. The, the guy that the, the old guy that they had in Temple of Doom and Steven Spielberg was feeding his lines to him off camera. He put in a better performance of this and he could speak no English at all. He was doing that phonetically.
0: Oh, there is so much to talk oh, on this movie. God. This would be an entire episode, and we are gonna dedicate an episode. Yeah. Just to this movie. Because this is how we became friends. Yeah. Years yeah. after this movie was released, we had, I think it was on Facebook, me and you were having a back and forth and started quoting terrible lines from Street Fighter <laughs> to each other. And then we knew, we've become friends. This yeah. is it. Because no one else knew what the hell we were talking about. And I'm there like, quick, change the channel. Oh, so good.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, if we do a uh, watch along of Deep Rising, we need to do one of Street Fighter. Oh, shit, I might even the- come first,
0: but how, how can you miscast a movie to this level of badness?
1: <laughs> it is it is shocking. It is so shocking, and probably one of the biggest miscasts is, compared to the game. Is actually one of its best features, and that is the late Raul Julia as Bison, because you see the character in the game, and we're talking someone who is jacked. He is. he is basically he's got one of those triangular body shapes and muscles upon muscles he's he's got all these psychic powers and then in reality okay yes he was suffering from terminal cancer at the time but you've got this rather skinny gomez adams yeah you've got gomez adams (laughs) but watching ralph william play bison is just an absolute joy and a treasure. Just see him chew the scenery, because like I say, he was suffering and he was dying and he knew he was dying and he did this movie for his kids and he went out and just had as much fun doing this part as you could possibly imagine and just lines like, for you, the day that Bison visited your village was the most important day of your life, but for me... It was Tuesday. (laughs) His delivery's perfect. It's absolutely wonderful. He's totally miscast. But by God, it's so good
0: to watch. Name a person in this movie who is not miscast. Uh, Ming-Na Wen. Well, that's fair enough. That is fair enough. But, I mean, Van Damme, this was right in the middle of his major cocaine problems. (laughs) And you can tell, right? He was doing... Ten grand's worth of cocaine a week yeah. during this movie. M. Bison was not the problem, <laughs> right? Whoever was supplying that amount of cocaine to the set is the problem. But um, the studio, I think it was Columbia, I think they had to actually hire a Wrangler to keep an eye on him. Yeah. Right? But this person was just as bad as Van Damme. <laughs> And he was doing just as much.
1: Mm-hmm. You, you've also got you also got the issue with um, uh, David De Souza, who was the the writer of it, who then said, "No, if I'm going to write it, I want to direct it as well." And he'd oh, come off things like Die Hard and everything, so you know he had a decent track record with writing, really good action. But then they they basically said, "No, if you want to do this, you've got to finish the script over the weekend." So it was a rush script to begin with, and then they only had something like six months to do everything with so little prep time. and it's, it, it, it's amazing it even made it to the screen,
0: let alone that it's barely coherent. In, in the fact that this movie is a success, in the fact that it exists. Yeah. right, And it is the greatest example of a terrible movie being so bad. It's great. It's wonderful. Right? It is. <laughs> it fills me with joy i have to watch it once every couple of years just to remind myself and when you see van damme in his scenes and apparently everyone was just sick of van damme at this point and this was the point where his career just started to nosedive and you have someone like kylie minogue playing cammy white cammy uh, yeah it th- yeah i think it was cammy white yeah And uh, apparently she was having an affair with Van Damme at the time from the press and stuff like that. But she was absolutely praised on this set. You know, everyone loved her. And Adrian Cronauer, who was the real-life DJ from uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Doing the voice. Good morning, Shadow Lou. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And there's nice little cameos and stuff like that in there. But the movie, it's hard to tell who steals This entire movie, and I am going with Andu (laughs) Brynarski. And you don't know who that is, do you?
1: Wait, Andu Brynarski is he he the one that's playing Zangief? Yeah, yes, the the same
0: guy paid, (laughs) the same guy who played Butterfinger in Hudson Hawk (laughs) steals the entire movie with every line he has given. They've just said, You are a big. Dumb Russian who does not seem to get what living is. Yeah. (laughs) You know, anything about life, anything that exists in the world, you have no, you can't even do a thumbs up. (laughs) You can do a thumb to the side. You know, and that's supposed to be this cute little thing that he does. The fact that he's been working for free and he genuinely believes when he's looking at a van full of explosives heading towards him, if you turn channel on the security monitor it will it will stop it happening
1: oh it's so good yeah you know what we need to we need to do a watch along with this we need to do a oh, watch yes. along with this without question this would be just this is yes. so good yes because yes. when we get
0: when we get to the blanker stuff that is just a whole new level of nuts
1: yeah but anyway that's my pick that's my nominate I'd... five for this week i so knew that was coming in at
0: number one there's no way that it couldn't have been no. As
1: soon as you gave me that nominate five of, of I I thought, no, Street Fighter has to be a number one.
0: I am even gonna ask Jay to come in and do that watch along with us. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, she is gonna God, love yes. it. That'd just be insane. Uh, it's just gonna be us laughing for an hour and a half. Yeah. So we hope you enjoy it. Yeah. Wow, well, well that is an absolutely fantabulous nominate five. Uh with a few surprises in there. Thank you go. We will not be doing a Potterwood After Dark because we have done it here on this episode today, so we are uh, sparing our alcohol consumption after yes. the show. Uh, but we thank you anyway for yes. having any interest to come along, and we hope that some of you who have listened to our inane ramblings today in regards to stuff in, happening in the industry and our thoughts on it would like to come and join us and have a chat on, you know, come on to Patreon chuck us a little yes. money our way we really appreciate all of your support
1: yes and uh while you're there there's only one question left to ask
0: what's in the bag what's in the box what's in the box what's in the box what's in the box
1: what's in the box Oh,
0: well, at least it is a box this week.
1: Yes, you did. I did that once. I did the what's in the bag thing once. Jesus Christ.
0: You actually said it as well in Poddywood After Dark on one
1: episode. Did I? Oh, okay. Yes.
0: Uh, okay, I'm going to roach in the bag while you tell everyone what it's about.
1: Okay, well, what's in the box is our segment of the show where Andy tries to raise up my cinematic learnings beyond, well most of the stuff that we've talked about today, to be quite honest. He's going to pull out the name of a movie from a box which is certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, and then I have to go away and watch that movie. If I have already seen it, then another film gets picked out of the box until we find someone that I haven't seen, and then I watch
0: that. So Andy, what is it going to be? Okay, so I pulled a couple out here because you have a tendency at the moment to actually have seen the first two, so I have three to hand. And we'll go with the first one, which is Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. I have not seen Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, so you don't need the other two. Perfect. They can go back in the box till next week. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, directed by Peter Weir from 2002, starring Russell Crowe, James Darcy. A thin Russell Crowe. Uh, thin Russell Crowe, yes. yes. And it's classed as one of the greatest naval battle movies ever made. Okay. Well, I look forward to that one. Okay, and you will hear what Steve thinks about that next week uh, when we return with Richard Mirisch as our guest. Uh, we've got to talk about a whole lot of movies. We're talking about uh, The Matrix. We're talking about Godzilla, Godzilla vs. Kong, and what exactly happened with the House of Wax studio fire that burnt the thing to the ground. Bill Daly says that uh, Richard Mirisch smoking is the reason. <laughs> we don't. I don't think that's true, but... Uh, I, do you reckon if, if this is the major swerve and it turns out it was Bill? Oh that has burning on fire.
1: Yeah, that'll be Bill. That'll be Bill. Yeah. That'll be Bill. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for listening to our name Ramblings this week. Hope you've enjoyed it. If not, well, tough shit. And uh <laughs> yeah, go but with you, yourselves. But if you have enjoyed it, we will see you next time here on Podywood. Bye. Take care. <laughs>
0: Pax by Sonica.